Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude, it is a decision, it is a project, it is a journey, it is a life choice. Every week I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. I am so excited to have Gurpreet here today, and I'm going to have her introduce herself because I think that we can share who we are way better than anyone else. Let's hear it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carly, for having me here. And hello to all the listeners. And um, I am Gurpreet Kaur and licensed professional counselor or psychotherapist, a life coach. Uh, I am in New Jersey. I am a business owner. I am a mom. I'm a wife, daughter, sister. I fill in all the roles. And above all, uh, I would say I am a woman. I am obsessed with self-love, self-care, especially as a woman. I think it's so hard to uh, get into that in the society, especially today, that we so strive for equity in the roles and we forget that there is such a dis- dis- disparity in what roles we fill in. I'm so glad you brought that up. And we were discussing before we started that, you know, Gurpreet's main issues have not been centered around body, but around achievement and worth. And, you know, I said that a lot of the women I'm speaking with are talking about the same thing about approval and acknowledgement and being seen and being part of. And so we're going to really get into that because must love self is not only about body stuff. It's body stuff sometimes brings us to the table, but a lot of the women I'm talking with are sharing that it's really what's underneath. And that's about believing that we're enough and that we belong. So I'm excited. Yes. Why did you say yes to this conversation? Well, I uh, saw your profile and just the name of the podcast, Must Love Self. I mean, it's so obvious and that's what I do in my work. And that's what I, uh, what I am, I feel, or who I am. And I have, um, I'm working on a book, I worked on a book proposal, it's submitted, but I kind of say that just with the simple acts of self-love and self-care, you can realize your godliness, you know, or your sacred self. So when I saw that name, like, you know, I'm so glad you said that. So I want to say something because you're going to understand this. I woke up this morning after I did this awesome talk with an amazing woman. And I said, must love self. It's different. I know this sounds silly, but it's different for me than self-love because I think that even though it's the same core, that self-love has this wrap of like being in Barnes and Noble in a section of like, you know, or getting a pedicure, which are all wonderful things. But at the end of the day, none of those things will work for what I need. And when you mention the word sacred for me, and this is not about religion, it's about something bigger that there has to be something within, right? That has to Absolutely. love that, that soul part of ourselves, that soul piece has to love this self piece, this body. 
this, this approval, this, all the outside stuff that doesn't matter, but we forget that's where it's coming from. And so I'm so excited to get into that with you before we do, would you mind sharing your age? I am 39, 39. And have you always been comfortable with your age? Yes. Have you been around women who like to not talk about their age or pretend they're a different age? I have, uh, I get my clients all the time. (laughs) What is your opinion? Why you think they do that? Um, again, I just go to the core. It's lack of not feeling loved enough. You know, if they, if they don't appreciate who they are, whether it's about their weight or age or color of skin or anything, it's just, if they're not comfortable where they are, they are going to gravitate towards something that they think is going to get them that approval. You know, like a uh, fat woman, for example, might think that if I lose weight and become skinny, then people are going to love me. Then people are going to approve me, you know? And same with age, that if you're an older age or not comfortable with it, that age, you just think that, oh, if I am younger or if I didn't have the wrinkles or if I didn't have gray hair, you know, that I I wouldn't have these issues or the self-concept that is less than uh, I am freaking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you just said it so well, because on the outside society tells us that age, that the younger you are, the way you look on the outside, that means you are at a certain level that you're looked at and it's reinforced everywhere. Right. And when you said the word approval, I wrote that down and circled it because I think underneath all of it, that's really what everyone's searching for is we want to be enough. And what I've experienced, and I can't wait to hear your story, is the only way I'm ever going to be enough is if I see it within myself. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with it more. Would you be so kind as to share your scoring for yourself? I'm going to ask you two different numbers for each of these three subjects of where you are currently today and then where the lowest you've been. So what would you rate yourself? Because you said that body is not a big issue for you. What would you rate your number? One is not nice. I'm not nice to myself. 10 is I'm pretty awesome to myself about your own body image. Body image, 10. Awesome. What is the lowest it's ever been? About seven. Okay. And what was the worst? What's it from? That was around college time. And what kind of things were you feeling at that point that, I mean, by the way, your low number is like as high as many people's high number. But what were you feeling at that time? Just so we can get that out of the way. It was actually, if I could just say it wasn't uh, even about my body, that it wasn't about weight. It was about the color of my skin. You know, I am Indian and I was born and raised till the age of 13 in India. So my English is like my third or fourth language. You are amazing. Uh, Tell us all your languages. My primary tongue is um, Punjabi. I speak Hindi. Hindi is uh, like the um, uh, India, India's national language. And um, my grandfather was, uh, he studied in a university where um, is now Lahore. It's in Pakistan now. So all he knew was Urdu. So he taught us some Urdu too. It's been long. My Urdu is very rusty, but that was kind of the third language. So English was like the last one. But after that, I came here, started English in high school. We had to have the second language. So I had to take Spanish. And guess what? I was number one in Spanish That's in my unbelievable. class. <laughs> Wait, so what age were you when you moved to America? I was 14. 
Okay. We're going to get there. I can't even imagine how hard that must've been. Tell me about what number you would rate yourself for your worth today. For my worth today, nine, nine and a half. That's pretty awesome. And then what would be your lowest number for your work? Oh gosh. One. <laughs> Tell us a little bit of background because we'll get into it more, but what brought it so low? Again, it was around my college time, a lot of self-doubt. That was, I got into the U.S. and I started as a freshman in high school. So I had so much on my plate that I never had a time to just look up. I, we, you know, because of even the cultural differences, we were not allowed to have American friends. We were not allowed to go to movies. We didn't have play dates. We didn't have anything, you know, it was just all about studies. So it, although I noticed the cultural differences, but because I was so focused that I started so late in the game that I want to go to a good college. So studies kind of a, took a priority. And when I got to college, it was that's, that's when I had a little bit of a breathing room that, okay, I got here. I can get good grades. That's fine. But that's when I hung out with American people. I made American friends. I made other international friends and I got to know the cultural diversity. That's, and I kind of dabbed into a, dating too, which was uh, so hush-hush. We were not, uh, we were not allowed to date. And it wasn't emotionally, I was just emotionally at a very low point. And that dating experience was emotionally abusive. And that is what kind of brought me down and got me depressed and even like suicidal ideation and self-worth or self-esteem. Actually, I, if I could rate like zero or negative, yes. I would say that I usually kind of say it was like underground, you know, <laughs> it was not even there. I'm that so I glad you talked lot. about that because I want to acknowledge this and we're going to get more into it when we go into your past, but your family and your culture, it sounds like was very, very clear about what, what mattered. And Absolutely. it was education, school, constantly being busy, focusing up, do not look anywhere else, but here. And so while many women I speak with, they talked about what their childhood was like, which we're going to get to yours was so hyper-focused at this level that I can imagine with so many rules, eventually it had to crumble at some point. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you had to find your own rules. I, yes. Now I am known as one of my sister. I jokingly say this with her. The, I had uh, with the book proposal, I even put this story in my book proposal. I had asked her, I was working with a coach to, for my practice. Um, and she had asked to fill out a questionnaire and five other people who knew me well. And my siblings always come in that group. They know me well, and we, we are very close. So one of my sisters had kind of fell out, you know, how to best describe me. And she said, selfish, but in a good way. You know, like even like at that time, I had done some work to get to that. And she's like, I won't take that back. I still say it because I shared that with her and, and the book chapter that I wrote. And uh, she was like, gosh, I'm sorry. I was like, no, don't be because that that uh, at that time, it still hurt. But now looking back that it wouldn't have made it into that book chapter if it didn't happen. 
But now I am still, I am proud right. that people see me that I am selfish, but in a good way. So first of all, I, I love that you can see that today. I hate though that it's still considered selfish because I imagine what it is that she's referring to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that you are able to stick up for yourself. You're able to advocate for yourself. You're able to make your own decisions, even if it's not acceptable. And that in your family or your culture is considered selfish. But in our world of must love self uh, is considered badass. Like that's called being authentic. I counsel a lot of women and self-care, self-love is at the core what I teach them. And isn't self-love, self-care, selfish is the biggest question that I got yep. all the time that guilt to deal with. So it's across cultures, not just like one culture. That but it's I, more gender specific. So absolutely. I never see, and this is, I'm going to make a big stereotype, but in traditional male, female marriages, I hear over and over women, and I've been guilty of this, feeling guilty and selfish when they take time away from their kids to exercise. Absolutely. But men never apologize. I'm so sorry, honey. I'm going to go to the gym for an hour. And mm -hmm. we, you think about it, we feel mm -hmm. guilty for taking care of our bodies, minds, and souls so we can possibly leave our children for an hour and that mm -hmm. we're bad moms to do that. Like that, that's BS, but that's what yes. we do. And not only that, mom guilt is Real. aside, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, what I had to learn to be comfortable with, even with when my husband tells me that, hey, I'll cook dinner tonight. Even to deal with that guilt, to be okay that either I am working, if I am working, it is so much easier to take that up on, up, to take upon that offer right? But if I just want to put my feet up and, and enjoy myself with a glass of wine while he is cooking, oh gosh. Don't you <laughs> think that's from the voices of our childhood that taught us women don't sit, women don't stop. You are supposed to, you're not supposed to do, I mean, I grew up with European grandparents that we were told, I mean, I was taking feminist courses in school and my grandmother was like, you serve all the men first. And I was like, this makes no sense. And she's like, this is what we do. This is how we do it. Does that mm -hmm. what happen in your culture? Do the men get served first? Yes, absolutely. And not only, uh, not even that with, within my culture or even Indian culture, the word for husband is puppy, but it's, it means owner. So it's- And what does the know, word for wife mean? like somebody who's owned. <laughs> Did that bother you at all? Oh gosh. Yes. Everybody in my family knows and they kind of, I get in trouble for speaking up and, uh, but I have two daughters. So I have pledged that I am not going to let anything happen around me. That is going to show them that less than men. That gave me chills because I think as women, we have an easier time using our voice and standing up when it comes to thinking about what I want this for my child, especially what I want this for my daughter. Because at, on the one hand, it's hard to step out 
of our family or our culture and speak up for ourselves. But when we think of our children, I think we have an easier time advocating and using our voice. And that's the next question I have for you is what would you give your rating today to use your voice to advocate for yourself? To advocate for myself? Nine, nine and a half. That's great. And what's the lowest it's been? Again, one. It wasn't within my family, but yeah, one or zero where I- In relationship? In relationship, as well as um, even just being a daughter, I still sometimes find if I had to rate my relationships, like children in in Indian families, they're always children, you know, no no matter what you have achieved, how wise you have grown and how much- you have it's just like yeah you know you still don't know enough you know so they're like it hasn't been as low as it would be like in that relationship but yes it's just even to advocate for yourself that no this is what I want this is what I think is right or even just to say like dad pick up your plate mom doesn't have to do it even to stand up for that you know or just to say that to him and tell me what you saw as a little girl growing up in a completely different country with your culture. What were you shown or told about what women's roles were, how they needed to behave, whether it's how you needed to look or talk or not talk, or what was shared to you through the women around you of what women needed to be like? So I don't remember feeling, uh, okay, I do. Um, (laughs) All of the women in my uh, family, uh, they were housewives. So no one worked outside. As a a child, maybe I was, I want to say around 10, no, maybe eight, nine. My, um, My brother, and cousin, we had extended family. We lived in uh, extended family. And my brother and my cousin, my cousin is about nine months younger than um, younger than my brother. So uh, there is a big gap difference. And uh, I mean, a gap in our ages. I was, he, when he was born, I was, I, I think already eight, eight or nine. And when they were around eight or nine, that I remember uh, this very clearly, in winter days, those babies, they were, they were probably, one was eight, nine months and was, one was probably uh, 15 months, 18 months, you know? And uh, those babies, babies were pampered. Like they, they were massaged pretty much daily. And then they would get this like a head massage and all that. And then they would get this dry fruit snack, which we wouldn't have. Like it was just a store just for boys, you know, that you were aware that they actually were completely treated differently, even as children. Yes. Did you ever ask or did you not ask why? I don't know if I asked. Do you know what the reason is as an adult? Why, why boys in India? Oh, well, boys are always preferred over girls. There's a dowry system that the girls are kind of married off and parents think and feel that daughters are burden on parents because they have to marry them off and they have to give that dowry. So it's a huge financial burden that they feel when even daughters are born. I haven't seen any of this in my 
family or anything near it, but there are um, families, I guess, in um, certain tribals, I guess, communities that they, they kill girls as they are born because they would be a big financial burden. Not just even that, more than that, that they would have to be the protectors of girls or women. It, it just it, protectors girls and from women whom? from men because of sexual assault, sexual assaults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you were a young girl, you were watching all this with this inquisitive mind. Did you see or hear anything from your mom or your father that showed you or taught you like the way things needed to be? At what point did you feel like this doesn't make any sense? Well, as I said, even at the age of eight or nine, I knew that it doesn't make any sense because as that young girl, I saw the the toys and the availabilities and stuff that was um, available to my brother and my cousin, um, you know, the way they were treated, even my younger sister, you know, who was just two years, three years older than him. And I have consciously knew that she didn't get the same treatment, you know, maybe I didn't know that how I was treated as a baby, but I know how she was treated right, as a baby. You saw it. Yes. So yeah, I, I knew and felt as young as eight or nine, but I started to question maybe around 13, 14, but I didn't get any answers. And it was more of like, we don't question that. And I guess I didn't, I didn't really start to question until I started to do my self-love work because Because it was all you knew. That's all, you know, exactly. And you just become a part of the collective consciousness. You know, you just kind of think of that as a norm. And that's, that's what it is. Nobody else is questioning uh, for their roles. And those are the roles. Can you explain a little bit about in your culture, because of the dowry system and the feeling of needing to marry off your daughters, was there a certain level of education or activity? What was deemed as a high quality in order to marry off your daughter and was that put on you as a girl that you needed to be like this so you can be a marriage material well one thing was that education was valued in my family that's not the case in every family that every family i know or in my extended relatives but as i said my even grandfather went to universities so education has been uh, highly valued but it's different for you because it's your generation is asking the women to get educated but you said your mother's generation was not my mother yes my mother's generation they just focused on the other skills they could um you know crochet or they could uh sew or other skills that how much you know that this person knows or has the skills for that kind of makes you better suited for marriage or marriage package, I guess. That's a huge difference for for you. Like the fact that your generation is the first generation of your family that is, I don't know if the word is allowing or asking or putting the focus on, but the fact that women before you were not given the same opportunity and the same need for approval and to meet this level of in the education world. I mean, because- that's a huge deal. What is the reason why your family moved to America? For a better future. 
for, for your I mean, children. My, my yes, for, for us, right. yes. And they made the sacrifices that they did to be here and, and do that. What was um, that like yeah, for you? To come here? Yeah. It was exciting. <laughs> um, who doesn't want to go to America? Did you go home? to a community that had other people that were also from your same background or were you like the only Indian girl or Pakistani girl? Like, were you just by yourself in a sea of white? You mean in my school? Yeah. At the, at the time when I went to school in, in high school, I think there were only a total of five, five kids, including Indians and Pakistanis. I think uh, two were Pakistanis, actually I said six. And um, isn't it funny to even count them because you like literally know who they are, who they are. So yes, what was that exactly. like for you? I mean, what was that like coming to America, being one of six in an entire school? Did you feel, you know, did that affect your worth? Did that affect your voice? Was that an issue for you? Or were you just too focused? Like you said, you had so much on your plate, you were focused on studying. Well, of course, it affect it did affect my worth because I didn't know English. I, I could read and write, but I couldn't speak. So it, because of the fluency, you know, back home, I mean, you're taught English um, and you can read and write and even the test in English, but it's, it's one thing to just uh, learn the grammatical way or then just kind of speaking and fluency. So that definitely, I think that's when it started of like, oh, I am lacking something. I don't even know the language. Even though you can speak three other languages. That's so, it's so interesting because you come here and, you know, I can say for sure, Americans tend to be really egotistical thinking that we know everything because there's one, because we speak a language and you don't, but we, no one ever takes the time to get to know someone and be like, oh, you speak three other languages and I can say hola, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. what a difference was that? challenging to find your place to find approval amongst your peers it was but I don't uh, I don't remember really emotionally being affected because I just we just knew our boundaries again you know it's just what you know and my other um, family friends who are Indian who were from my community they had the same boundaries. So it, it, it was just, you just know, like you're not allowed to hang out with your friends or American friends. You're not allowed to go to the movies with them. You're not allowed to do this. It's, was it ever you're explained not allowed to you why? Um, yes, because they were, I mean, they didn't explain why it was just understood. They were afraid that we would get too Americanized. And what does that, that mean? we would lose? That we wouldn't probably- Marry. Marry, or we wouldn't marry from a same culture, yes. or um, again, uh, pregnancy that was like teen pregnancy. That I <laughs> it was that was one of the cultural right. shocks, yes. And actually, one time I clearly remember this one of the first days that one of the uh, students in my class, maybe it was like a month into like freshman school year. I saw this, this beautiful girl who's in my class. And at the end of that, and I'm sitting in a school bus and she is on the ground and she's smoking. 
And I'm like, how is that possible? And then by the time I was like, uh, I think junior or maybe senior, and then two of my classmates were pregnant, you know, so I- Which was unheard of in your culture. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, that that you're pregnant and then you are still part of the society, still part of the community, unmarried. Will you tell us a little bit about your perfectionism and how that played a role in your time as a college student when you were having a hard time? Well, one big thing with perfectionism is that it can, with the black and white thinking, right? It's either zero or nothing, right? So I had good grades and I was so excited about them, although the other cultural stuff that was going on emotionally. So I got so much in in the grips of depression that I couldn't take, I think one or two, one exam in my, in one of my classes, skipped it. I couldn't study for it. It was just too much. And I totally skipped it. And then I skipped it again, the second exam. And then I was like, you know what? I'm, I just failed. I'm just fail. I'm a failure. And that's it. I, I, I even didn't put any in an effort. Either I was an A student right. or now it's I have It's so black and class. white, right? Look what I've it's done. It's so black and white. It is so hard. Did anyone to... in your family know you were struggling at that time? Not at the beginning. Not when I was really um, struggling and I got some help from the counseling center. My siblings knew. Again, we are very close, and um, but I am the oldest. So they to a lot me of were babies, right? Um, it is pressure as being oldest. Yes. But they couldn't help me. They didn't know anything. You know, they, I was, the, uh, I had seen life still, and they were still in the, in the cage, in the group, yeah. you know, my father didn't know, or my mom, they, they didn't know until I actually was on the road to recovery. Will you That's tell us about I that shared. transition? Like what was it, what helped you get to a place where you were so low to get to a place where you are today? What helped me? Books. Hmm. Tell us about it. I love, books helped me. Um, although I am in the business of counseling or therapy, I got on a medication, which did not fit well with me. They experimented about three, the counseling center and, and uh, even outsourcing psychiatrist. They put me on three different medications. Nothing kind of worked for me. In fact, I think one of the medications even put me even at a lower point um, and didn't help with the suicidal ideation. So then I got a couple of counseling sessions that that helped me kind of steer, but I already was in love with psychology courses. So I just- So you were going to to college to study psychology and you were also a mess or did you switch at that point? That's another story. (laughs) Um, I was a pre-med student. Of course. Uh, (laughs) So I I was on the road for pre-med and uh, second year, uh, sophomore year of my, my college as a general ed, I was supposed, I, I had to take a psychology course. And once I was in this, I was like, oh my God, where has this information been all my life? And I was like, I, I, 
I even like finished my book way before the curriculum was like I was on top of it. So I already had fell in love with psychology and what it was and how it was. So I changed from pre-med to neuropsychology. Uh, yeah. Was that an issue in your family? Oh yeah, because I just psychology was it's like being BA a garbage degree. collector, right? It was a BA degree. It was not going to be a BS degree, and not much you can do with it. So I changed from neuropsychology from neuropsychology to biopsychology, and then I finally, when I kind of learned that I needed to stand up for myself, so I was like, you know what? I am going to go with psychology, just with psychology, because what I can do with that that I couldn't. Can you just stop um, for a second? It's so important what you just said. So many of us, regardless of our culture or our family, come from this place where we're trying so hard to be to get that approval from our family. And we're so afraid to just be who we are and follow what we want. And we have these, some of us have very loud disapproving voices telling us you're wrong. Don't go this way. And it's not like we're on the drug path and we're like stealing. You're like, I would like to help people and help them with, you know what I mean? In psychology. And that is because there's this idea in each other's cultures of what you need to be. And it's the same in my family, you know, what is success? So success is something that I found for myself in my journey of myself self that I have to define success for myself. Mm -hmm. At that point, was that really where you started to go along that path for yourself? Yes. I had to just admit to myself that even if I am able to do nothing with this degree, at least it's going to help me. And I would take upon the failureness of this all. And she but, air quoted failure because she knows there's no such thing when you're following your heart, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Do you exactly. think that your body and your mind were struggling so hard because you weren't following your, your real path and that's why you ended up in that place? Probably. Yeah, that happened to me too. I mean, when we try to pretend and to live by what someone else believes of us, you know, when you said that word approval originally, I had my biggest life lesson with approval when I went through my divorce and- I remember this question being asked in this book I was reading about what to do. And it said, if God could whisper in your ear that it was going to be okay, would you know what to do? And my answer was yes. And I was terrified that my parents were going to not approve and they didn't. And they told mm -hmm. me, you know, and that was really, really hard. But I also told them that, that was one of the best gifts that they ever could have given me was because I had to find out what was right for me because it's really, really hard to stay in a marriage or to be in a career or to follow a path that is not what you want. And mm -hmm. it just, it will not work if you're doing it for somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does not work. And your body, yes, your body freezes and then you go into emotional disorders or physical illnesses yes. or diseases because you're fighting with who you are and where life's flow is taking you or wants to take you. And I love and that. I find that finding your courage, finding your voice is part of that, that you face these struggles, you know, and, and, and right now looking back, 
I say that depression, that relationship, those struggles were blessings. If I didn't go through that phase, I wouldn't be where I am. And wait, to pause kind of- for a second. Me and you have to remember that as mothers, when we're watching our kids struggle, because they will, because that's what's going to yeah. happen. It's called life. And nothing is more painful than watching your own kids struggle. But we both have to remember, as scary as it's going to be, is that they could possibly prove blessings for them to find their way. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. No, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable even for us as mothers to see that. And so many more moments and struggles are going to be on her way that she would struggle and I cannot do anything. And I might as well just get comfortable. And we can stand in the way of them having their blessing by trying to protect them from the struggle, which is impossible. And I want to transition to one of my favorite poets that you chose for your quote. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. When life goes tough, this is the quote that I come back to. Honestly, what I believe must love self is about, it's about no one is perfect. We're all on a path. We all have scars and beauty and ugly, but we're here. You're sharing your story to give other people permission to do the same. That's our job. Yes. But before that, it's just like, I don't, I'll be honest. I don't even think about that. I have to give anybody else permission to, it's my job that to show it to them. Again, I would say that I am selfish in that way and I'll I'll take that. What I kind of have the definition of self-love for me is freedom. Mm. That I just want to feel free to be whoever I want to be or to have whatever I want to have or to do whatever I want to do. That is permission, whether you're aware of it or not, why you are doing that and showing it to all of us. It gives us the permission slip to get to do it for ourselves. So I'm so grateful you said that. We're about to go into lightning round. Are you ready? Oh, sure. Let's do it. What would you say if you had about an hour to talk to that young girl in college that was breaking down and was in that yucky relationship and was feeling so low? What would you say to her today? It will all make sense one day. It gives me chills. What? would your 80 year old self say to you today? It always makes a sense. (laughs) What is beautiful to you? Being you. What do you consider to be a strong woman? Who can unapologetically feel free to be who she is. I love that. What do you want others to say about you? That she is non-judgmental. That's a good one which means we get to live that. That is one of the biggest gifts we can give somebody. And that's what I kind of look for when I am in the growth things that I am judging myself and I cannot stop judging anybody else. And even if in somebody else's presence, if all I could just be non-judgmental for them, but it's so hard to do it if you have not been non-judgmental to yourself. It's impossible. It's you impossible. You can pretend to do it, but it's, it's not, it's, it's yes. not authentic. 
Last two questions. If you found out that you have six months left to live, what would you do with the rest of your time? I would do exactly what I am doing right now, maybe with a little bit more time, my girl. Last one. What would you like one piece of advice for every woman that's listening to hear from you? Just have that courage to be who you are. I, I know it's, it's very difficult to do it. Find somebody who can help you walk through it because it's hard to do it by yourself as well. You need someone who has done the work to say- It's okay you know to what? say you need that. It's, that's okay. Absolutely. We can't yep. do this on our own. I mean, I can easily tell you on both my hands, the people who have saved my life. You know, I need life Sherpas to help me climb the mountain. Mm -hmm. I have a bonus question for you because I only have boys. So I always want to ask mothers of girls, what do you dream of for your girls? What do I dream of my girls? I want them to be as free as possible of the shadow work. I hope that they don't have to do as much as I had to do. I love that. Tell us how we can find you, where we can find you, how people can join your Facebook group. Tell us how. Uh, my Facebook group's name is Conquer Your Inner Critic. And my Facebook page is Living Excellence Today. I am rooting you on. You have an army of women behind you rooting you on. And we can't wait to see all the things you're going to do. Thank you so much, Carly, for building this platform and allowing women to share fiercely and be vulnerable, but at the same time, show courage to others as well. So thank you. Well, for thank you, you for being doing. a beautiful example of that. I, I feel like I made a new friend. Oh, thank you. Thank same you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 la,